Good morning. I'm Wimala. I'm uh, getting ready to go on retreat at the Siena Center today. So, of course, I'm kind of running around and I start getting phone calls. <laughs> and uh, people calling me for uh, setting up appointments with physical therapists and uh, all kinds of therapies that my uh, that I'm that my uh, radiation treatment will lead to. So it's it's uh, people who have lots of medical issues all the time. My hearts go out to you. It seems like most of it is uh, just for this one thing for me. It seems like most of my time is spent uh, taking phone calls. There's there'll be a, a several days of phone calls setting up appointments and balancing all of them with each other. And you know how long you have to sit on the phone. So I'm going through one of those phases and trying to get out of town at the same time. So I appreciate what so many people go through and for a lot, lot longer and more often than, than for me, than I have to deal with. So let's find a good place to read from in our book and just relax into that together and then sit together. So at the retreat, our topic, since it's a retreat for sitting and yoga and just kind of relaxing the body and getting back into a, a space that feels positive and uh, mindful. So it's about creating mindfulness in our lives we're talking a lot this weekend about how important those foundations are, the foundations of the, the uh, Buddhist uh, precepts and the Eightfold Path and ethics and morality and watching our actions and our speech and our thoughts. Um, those things really are more important than the practices that we do. Like, you don't, you can't meditate properly until you've dealt with letting go of some of the mental things we carry around and uh, being willing to let those go. So I think our topic is going to be very interesting this weekend. People can watch that. And in our everyday life, we're, we're always having to kind of create little personal retreats for ourselves, I think is a way we can look at it, where we just devote some time giving ourselves a mental, physical checkup and just see how we're doing. Because if we're meditating, but our mind is full of anger or negativity or all those little defilements that creep in, then it's not going to let us be able to meditate and we won't get very far. So working, refining ourselves, purifying our minds is actually the best thing we can do for our meditation practice, in addition to the value it puts out into the world. And even be between yoga and uh, the Buddhist teachings, they're very similar in that respect. So we're combining our yoga and Buddhist experiences and practices. Um, so it'll be a good break, but my goodness, I'm feel, fielding the telephone and having, feels like there's too much going on in my little simple life.
So, we have been reading some really uh, powerful little chapters in her book. So I think we talked yesterday, this beautiful chapter about um, mother and child luminosity and that consciousness going from the smaller consciousness to the bigger one at the time, at the point of death. And uh, now we're going, I want to read the next chapter because it does flow really well. And some of these, some of these are, uh, she uses Tibetan words, are words from the Tibetan Buddhist tr tradition, like bardos and some other things. But she does, she does try to explain them uh, to be uh, very universal, not connected to any, any religion or any specific Buddhist path. I think she really op just opens up uh, good teachings and explains them with maybe a different, uh, a, a little bit different explanation than we're used to in the Theravadan tradition. But these are the questions we all ask. And this is, sometimes the bardos make us think it's a very different thing because in the Theravadan tradition, rebirth is very quick into some other life. And But there is, there is uh, the bardos just mean the space in between. So this is called what goes through the bardos. When we talk about death happening every moment, we also might have a natural question. If I'm continuously being born and dying, then who is it that goes through all these experiences? It's That's an excellent question. We all have it. Same question. Once this body is dead, who has, who has the chance to merge with the mother luminosity? If that chance is missed, who goes on to the next bardo, known as the bardo of Dharmata? When it comes to reincarnation, who gets reborn? Who? <laughs> you know, who, who, who is it if it's not us? A similar question would be, what is it that continues from lifetime to lifetime? And that's the question I always hear. And I always have, what is it that continues from lifetime to lifetime? Or what goes through the bardos? The standard answer to all these questions is consciousness, or namshe in Tibetan. So it is consciousness. But yeah, the, the, she answers my what I was going to say in the next sentence. The word consciousness could mean different things to different people. But the Tibetan language is extremely precise when it comes to describing the mind. Namshe implies that this consciousness is dualistic. For instance, if Rosa sees a mountain, Rosa is here, and the mountain is there. They are two separate things. I have a runny nose. Whatever Rosa sees, hears, smells, tastes, or feels seems like an object separate from Rosa. Okay, this is how things appear to all of us, right? There's a sense of division between me and everything else. Between me and you, I've got the my telephone, we've got all these electronic uh, 
things going through the air. And, uh, yeah, there's always division, right? Even if we're sitting in the same room, it's me looking over there at you. There is a sense of division between me and everything else. The experiences keep changing, but I always seem to remain the same. That's what we think anyway, right? There's something about me that feels like it never changes. But when I look for this unchanging me, I find that I can't pin anything down. I was born on July 14, 1936. My name at that time was Deidre Bloomfield Brown. I can definitely acknowledge there's a connection between that infant Deidre and today's Pema. I have memories of my childhood. The mother and father I had then are still my mother and father to me, even though they're long gone. A scientist would say that the baby and I have the same DNA. And of course we have the same birthday. But the interesting question remains, are the newborn baby and the elderly woman I am today actually the same person? I still have pictures of myself as an infant and a toddler. If I try hard, I can pick out some ways that child looks similar to what I see today in the mirror. But I also know intellectually that not a single cell of my body has stayed the same. Even at present, every cell and every atom of my body is continuously changing. I've tried long and hard to find a real me that stays the same year to year, or even from moment to moment, but I've never had any success. And then she says, this is a worthwhile exercise which I highly recommend to anyone interested in the mysteries of life and death. So where does this leave us in terms of the Bardos? As I said, the standard answer for what continues across lifetimes is Namshe, dualistic consciousness. So that's what continues across lifetimes. This is not so easy to understand. A while ago, I called my friend Ken McLeod, a highly learned Buddhist practitioner who's written some of my favorite books. That's Ken McLeod, M-C-L-E-O-D. He's well known. And I asked him about it. Like other students of the Dharma, he said that Namshe, the dualistic consciousness, is what goes through the bardos, the transitions. But he made the point that this consciousness isn't some stable entity that flows through everything. It's constantly dissolving and reforming. Every moment we experience something new, the smell of toast, a change of light, a thought about a friend, and every moment we have a sense of self having that experience, a sense of I, the smeller of toast. When this moment passes, it's immediately followed by another moment with a subject and an object. This flow of dualistic experience continues uninterruptedly through our waking hours and our dreams, through this life and across lifetimes. But beyond this flow of moments, is there anything underlying them all 
that we could point to as consciousness. We can't locate or describe any stable element that lives through all of our experiences. So from this point of view, Ken said that another answer to what goes through the bardos is nothing. There are just individual moments happening one after another. What we think of as consciousness is fluid, more like a verb than a noun. When Ken and I had this conversation, it gave me a better feeling of how I keep clinging to this self as something permanent, when it's actually much more dynamic than that. It's not some fixed, frozen thing. We can have this view of ourselves as frozen, and we can have frozen opinions of others as well. But that's just based on a misunderstanding. Why do we have this misunderstanding? Who can say? It's just how we've always seen things. The Buddhist term for it is a co-emergent ignorance. Or, as Anam Thubtam calls it, co-emergent unawareness. <laughs> co-emergent unawareness. We all come into our life with this unawareness. And what are we unaware of? We are unaware that we are not a solid, permanent entity and that we are not separate from what we perceive. This is the big understanding, the illusion of separateness. Here is how I've heard teachers talk about the origin of our unawareness. First, there is open space, fluid and dynamic. There is no sense of duality, no sense of me, separate from everything else. Then, from that ground, everything becomes manifest. If properly understood, the open space and the manifestation are not two separate things. They are like the sun and its rays. This means that everything we're experiencing right now is a display of our own mind. Recognizing this union is called co-emergent wisdom or co-emergent awareness. Remaining caught in the illusion of separateness and solidity is co-emergent unawareness. So there's co-emergent wisdom or co-emergent awareness, and that's recognizing the, that union, like the sun and the rays from that universal consciousness down into our individual uh, bodies. Remaining caught in the illusion of separateness and solidity is co-emergent unawareness. And this, of course, is where you and I find ourselves. It's obvious that co-emergent unawareness is our usual experience. But in reality, no one and no thing in our world is fixed and static. Consciousness is a process that constantly dissolves and reforms, both now and in the bardo. And every time it reforms, it's completely fresh and new, which means that we have an endless stream of opportunities to have a completely fresh, open take. We always have another chance to see the world anew, a chance to reconnect with basic openness, 
a chance to realize we've never been separate from that basic spaciousness. A chance to realize it's all just been a big misunderstanding. If you spend enough time pondering this, you might understand it with your rational mind, but then you may still ask yourself, why do I experience myself as separate? Why don't I experience each moment as fresh? Why do I feel so stuck? The reason you feel this way is because you, like everyone else, have been under the sway of co-emergent awareness for a very, very long time. Therefore, it takes a very, very long time to dismantle. Our misunderstanding of separateness goes deep. Even animals have an innate sense of being a separate entity. But unlike animals, we have the ability to contemplate. Okay, we have the ability to contemplate. So that may feel like a curse sometimes, but that's our blessing. That's why it's so good to be, that's why this human form is such an important place to be. We can contemplate, we can think, we can, we can let things, let ideas and concepts penetrate us. We can use our fairly sophisticated brains to realize that our misunderstanding is indeed a misunderstanding, that moment by moment we have a chance, even if briefly, to merge with that basic ground again. Even if we're convinced of this, however, we can't drop our familiar sense of separateness just by willing it to go away. But what we can do is start to meditate. In one session on our meditation cushion, we can see for ourselves how fluid our consciousness is. We can observe how our thoughts and emotions and perceptions appear and disappear and how this process just goes on and on without a break. We can also see how mysterious our thoughts are. Where do all those thoughts come from? And where do they go? And why do we get so serious about what goes on in our mind? <laughs> I love that question. Why do we get so serious about what goes on in our mind? Even though our thoughts are as elusive as mist, how can they cause us endless, unnecessary problems? How can they make us worry, get jealous, quarrel with others, get euphoric and depressed? Meditation gives us a way to see the slipperiness of our minds, of our mind, and of our notion of me. When we practice meditation, we gradually accustom ourselves to how experiences constantly flow. We see that this happens even though we can't pinpoint any subject who experiences them. We see that this happens even though we can't pinpoint any subject who experiences them. From this point of view, there is no fixed being who goes through the bardos. Another way of saying this is there's no continuous individual who experiences life and death. No one lives and no one dies. Life and death, beginnings and endings, 
Gains and losses are like dreams or magical illusions. Yeah, I want to just keep reading. I'm, if that's of interest to you at all, I'm sure you, you do too. Because these are the questions that we all ask. Like, what is it? What is it if there's no, if there's no self? There's a conventional self, but there's no, there's no permanent. There's no permanent identity or self. So these are concepts we, if we can grapple with them and let them permeate us, if we can get that deeper uh, wisdom about them, think of all the things we can just walk away from. Because our thoughts are always, so many times our thoughts are about what others are doing, the, what we see in the out, outer world and, uh, you know, being critical or negative. So much of it is, and that just eats away at our contentment, our equanimity. It's impossible to have equanimity when we have those thoughts just, you know, constantly, um, seeing ourselves separate from everything else. I'm going to close, just a second, let me close the door. There's more work going on outside. So, it's a little quieter. So, we don't have much time left, but we have at least about five minutes, five, six minutes to sit. So this is a good time to just sit with some of these, some, just sit. And, uh, uh, okay, the book is Pema Children's, before I start, the book is Pema Children's newest book, How We Live is How We Die. I know it's backwards on your screen, but How We Live is How We Die. And I think, uh, I think, I often find when I'm reading from teachers in different traditions, there might be wording that they use or the way that teacher talks about something that can help really open something up that maybe that I've been um, uh, struggling with or trying to understand better. And Pema Chodron is one of those people who can do that. And uh, we we don't we don't have to feel you know we can we can t take things from all different traditions from the yoga tradition, from the Buddhist tradition, and we can still be, we're, we can still be honoring our tradition and the path we follow because they're, if they explain something for us and help us see something more deeply, it's wonderful because we're seeing there's no separation, right? So why don't we sit? It'll be a short sit, but if you have more time, you can just continue to sit when I have to leave. Let your body know that you're, you want to sit for a bit. So your body stays away. For me, it's kind of shifting into a more upright posture, rolling my shoulders back and really feeling how my spine can support the upper body. Be aware of your breath.
we're really being aware of the body breathing. We're just tuning into that awareness because that becomes our anchor for our practice. Our minds will become distracted. We will get, sometimes will get uh, drowsy. So when we have any kind of distraction, that's when we know that anchor is here. We can always come back to the breath. Now, whatever mental state you are in, just allow your body to relax, supported by your spine, no matter what posture you're in. You can be on your back on the floor, or walking, or standing, or on a cushion, on a chair. We just want to bring everything to the present moment. Let your mind, your body, everything just come to this present moment with your breath. Relax your hands. Be aware of everything and just let everything rise and and then fall. No need to hang on to anything, a sound, a smell, a thought. A few minutes ago, I felt cold. I closed the patio door and now my body has a different, that sense of contact and touch changes very quickly. You can see everything change. We can step outside and hear birds and hear the wind, feel the breeze. We can come back inside and cut all of that off and pick up sounds of a refrigerator or an air conditioner running or lights buzzing. So we're just being aware of everything coming to us through our sense doors. How quickly it changes. Just allow thoughts to arise and then pass away.
You can feel the mind relax. If you can, keep sitting. And as you end your own practice, be sure to add loving kindness for yourself, for your loved ones, for strangers, for all beings in the world. And think of people in countries where where they don't have enough to eat, or they don't have clean water, or they're at war and have anxiety and fear as their companions. Think of them and send loving kindness. We can be more appreciative of what we have and what we have to share. So may everything we do as our intention for this day. May everything we do and say and think today be done not only for our own benefit, but for the benefit of all sentient beings. Thank you. I'm seeing some some old friends. Uh, so thank you and have a beautiful weekend. And thank you for being a big part of my practice. So I'll see you on Tuesday.